Welcome to Community Christian Church. We are so honored you came to be a part of Why Not Sunday. And here's what I know about the person that invited you that said, hey, why not give church a chance? They are hoping that you have a great time, and I am as well. And that's why we're talking about anxiety. I don't know if you know it or not, but we are in the midst of an anxiety epidemic that our culture is increasingly anxious, more anxious all the time. In fact, if you don't know that, you should give it a try and just Google anxiety epidemic sometime. You'll be overwhelmed by the responses you get. In fact, everywhere we turn, people seem to be feeling it and talking about it. One article I read said that in 1980, only 4% of our population felt any degree of overwhelming anxiety. Today, it's about 50% that struggle in some way with anxiety. But this, this series, we're talking about anxiety and hope, because there is hope. And we want to talk to you about that in very practical kind of ways over the next few weeks. Dr. J.P. Moreland is a, a noted author. He's a professor. He's written about science and faith, and uh, he's been doing that for a number of, of years. In fact, a lot of what we're going to talk about over the next few weeks comes from his book uh, called Finding Quiet. And I really do highly recommend the book. Now, I do want to say to you that uh, if you're not really a scientific kind of person, the first part of the book is really highly scientific. Uh, but that doesn't mean you need to skip it. If you struggle with anxiety, get the book and look at the last part, the more practical part of the book. The reason I like the book and recommend it so much is that it makes clear that the struggle with anxiety really doesn't play any favorites. Uh, after a lifetime of practicing, teaching, writing about uh, his faith, Dr. Moreland experienced the worst seven months of his life after he had his first panic attack. He writes, At 2.30 in the morning, I awoke, dripping wet with sweat and my heart pounding. My body was filled with electricity like there was a tiger in the room. I went room to room in my house to try to figure out what was wrong. Something was happening I'd never encountered before. I was having a panic attack. He says his wife woke up and tried uh, to ask him what was going on, and he said all I could tell her was I was shaking with electricity. It was running from my head to my chest. He said, I'm very afraid, and I don't know of what. He then goes on to say that he spent the rest of that night from 2.30 until dawn just walking in circles in his neighborhood trying to get rid of this feeling. He said two very specific thoughts were running through my mind that produced this anxiety. One, he says, was there was a critic of mine that was openly attacking my life's work and my character. And I didn't know that soon he would be exposed and soon people would see the flaw of it. But at the time, all I could think was he was going to ruin my life's work and it would totally be destroyed. He said, I couldn't get rid of that thought. The second thought he was having that it was, I was, he was going to lose his job because of this critic, even though no one had ever said to him he was going to lose his job. He adds, when you're having anxiety problems, rational thinking is not always what you're doing. He then describes seven months of daily panic attacks. I spent a lot of time, he says, lying on the couch because I didn't have the energy to even get up. I was afraid of irrational things. There was fear every time I checked my email. My heart would start pounding when the phone would ring. I couldn't attend my grandchildren's soccer games or even have them over to the house for six months. I just wanted to be left alone. I curled up in a ball 
and I worried about everything. I never seriously contemplated suicide, but many times I asked God to kill me through an automobile accident or in some other way. I thought my whole life had been a waste. There was no purpose in me living. I wanted to die so the pain would go away. Welcome to church. Now, to some of you, right now you're sitting incredibly still because what's just been described by Dr. Moreland is something that you experience. And what I would say next is really important, and I want you to hear it. I want you to know you are not alone and that there, that is not the end of the story. There is hope. You can be a talented, smart, you can even be a committed Christ follower, and you can still struggle with anxiety. It does not say anything about your faith. But there's another thing I want you to hear. It's not the end of your story. There is a way out. There is a path to living with hope and peace. And Dr. Moreland and many other people have found that way. Now, for those of you who heard that described in what I read out of that book, uh, and you thought, wow, that's over the top. I can't relate to that at all. And you think, well, then what we're going to talk about doesn't apply to you. Can, can Before you turn me off, could, could you just wait a second and let me say to you, you know, anxiety comes in all kinds of shades and forms. And what I want us to do is I want us to begin by identifying our anxiety level in this culture of anxiety. You know, studies tell us that roughly one in five people suffer high levels of anxiety or severe anxiety, like I described. So one out of every five people joining in, you're probably in that case. One third of us suffer an anxiety order, disorder at some point in our lives. And the rates of that are rising uh, for a number of different factors. One of the factors that people like to talk about is it's probably because of the breakdown of families and our social structures, that the roots and the ties, the social ties that we used to have, have slowly been eroded in our culture. In addition to that, it's just the incredible speed and the pace at which we live our lives. Even though we don't realize it, we weren't meant to live this way, and it's affecting us even though we don't think about it. Now, maybe you've never experienced the kind of anxiety that was described by Dr. Moreland in his experience, but many of us have experienced moderate levels of anxiety. The same studies say that 40% of us, or two out of five of us, have experienced a moderate level of anxiety. And that would be described by just feeling restless all the time, or being unable to sit still, or constantly tapping your foot, or constantly shaking your leg, or, or tapping your fingers on something. You just can't sit still. Or you live your life fear-driven. You're afraid of what might happen. You're afraid of what might happen to your kids. You, you live in a constant world of what ifs. What, what if something happens to my kids? What if I lose my job? What if I can't pay my bills? What if I don't pass that test? What if I don't get into school? What if I, I don't find love? What if nobody loves me? What if they just continue to make the same old superhero movies again and again and again and again and again and tell us something new and we never get anything new? I'm just saying. You know... People will often ask me, Ed, do you, do you get nervous when you get up to speak? Well, the truth is, uh, I really don't anymore. But for years, I did. I think the, the nicest way to say what, what happened to me is every time that I would get up to speak, I had uh, severe intestinal <laughs> disorders. I think that's the nicest way I can say what happened. And, I, uh, you know, I don't have that happen anymore. 
Well, what I do have happen is now when I speak, particularly when I know I'm going to speak, even on the days I'm preparing to speak, like which are Thursday and Friday uh, for me, I, I find that I have these little nervous habits that I can't seem to control. And, and I'm way more irritable on those days than I am on other days. But if you ask me, hey, are you nervous about speaking? I'd say no. But you know, your body will tell you what you're feeling even when our mind doesn't want to admit it. And often your body is feeling something in anxiety when you don't consciously aren't willing to admit it yourself. You ever had an eye twitch that you don't know what caused it? Or again, you, you, you just feel like you can't sit still or you have to constantly be on the move. You, you have these things going on and your body is, is trying to tell you something. It's trying to tell you that you're feeling anxious. You ever sat still for a while and you just begin to wonder, what? oh, I lost my phone. You know, it's an amazing thing about these smartphones that we have that most of us carry around these days. They've done studies where people are, are paid to be in the study and they remove their phones from them where they can't see or touch their phones and their anxiety level goes up. So maybe you don't suffer from anxiety and you don't think this is a problem for you. So here's what I want to challenge you to do this week. Take one day and take your phone and put it somewhere where you won't see it, you won't touch it, you won't know what happens with it, for 24 hours. Just do that as an experiment. Now, some of you are thinking, I will love that day. But since I don't really have to do that because I don't suffer with it, I'm not going to do it. Well, there's a name for that too. It's called denial. See, Neuroscience News recently reported that there's a study that smartphone addiction rewires our brain and it actually produces increased levels of anxiety. Well, whatever your level of anxiety, where we need to start is we have to start by admitting that we struggle with it. Because when you're honest about it, then you can begin to do something about it. So what I want to do is, we're a church, and I, I want to read a part of the Bible to you. Uh, this is written by a guy named Paul. He's a follower of Jesus, like we are at this church, followers of Jesus. And he started a church in a place called Philippi. And we actually have a letter that he wrote back to that. And because it's in the city of Philippi, the little letter is called uh, Philippians. So I want to read what he says to them. He says, The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understandings, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. See, Paul loves these people, and he wants them to know what I want you to know. God did not leave us in a world of anxiety without the possibility of peace. And he promised to be with us in this world and to bring peace into our lives. There is hope, and there is a way that we can live in, uh, have a path toward hope, even when we struggle with anxiety. And we're going to talk over the next few weeks of the life that's described in this passage. And we're going to look how we apply that to our life and how we walk down this path toward peace. But I need to tell you, if you're not a Bible person, that's okay because we're going to, 
we're going to look at this in a holistic kind of way. And what I mean by that is what Dr. Moreland and others have found is that scriptural truths combined with psychology and psychiatry work together in a holistic approach to humanity that works at the problem of anxiety. Paul says to us, the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. Now, that doesn't mean that anxious thoughts won't occasionally come to you. It doesn't mean that occasionally you won't be bombarded by the what-ifs in life. But we do not have to live in constant anxiety. We weren't intended to. Is that true even if I suffer from severe anxiety? I think it is. And the reason I think that is because I know people in our church that lived under a dark cloud of anxiety for a while, and they found hope. And Dr. Moreland did as well. He said, after getting medication and seeing a therapist after that first attack, he said, I went 10 years without ever experiencing another panic attack. But, Dr. Moreland said, then I took on too much stress at work, and I began to suffer again. Here's what he writes. When you're prone to anxiety, stress is enemy number one. But I thought, not for me. I'm a distinguished Christian professional. I tell people how to live the spiritual life. Surely this panic attack business is behind me. And that's when it hit with another gruesome five-month period. After that five-month period, he said, I was at my all-time lowest. And then he said he sensed that God was speaking to him. Now, he wasn't speaking to him in an audible voice, but he sensed that God was speaking to him in his spirit. And what God was saying to him was, I will be with you, and I don't want you to ever suffer this way again. So I want you to learn, and then I want you to write the ways that I have made the world so that you do not ever have to do this again. So, Dr. Moreland went on a learning pilgrimage about anxiety. Over the next several years, he devoured over 40 books, Christian and non-Christian, about uh, the psychology of anxiety and about spiritual formation. And what he learned, he began to put in practice, and it began to change him. He writes, I know these principles worked. How do I know? A couple of years ago, over a two-year period, I contracted four kinds of cancer, had four surgeries, and was on chemotherapy for seven months. And yet... I was the happiest and most peaceful and calm that I had been in years. I had virtually no anxiety in my life. My close friends, my wife, my daughters regularly commented to me they could not believe how, I, how peaceful and happy I was through this all. And that's where we're going to go over the next few weeks in this series together. So. In this first message, I want us to just understand what anxiety is and what some of its sources are. Dr. Moreland said that he had a couple of pre-existing or kind of predisposition toward being a person with uh, uh, anxiety. And maybe some of you do too. One is, you can, believe it or not, receive a genetic predisposition to anxiety. And the second is, if you have a, in your childhood a trauma or a very stressful period of your childhood or a PTSD for some kind of traumatic event that happens, there may be a predisposition for you. Dr. Moreland noticed on the genetic side that his grandfather had been a person that was in a constant state of worry that 
He was a person that was always worried, always troubled, that that was in his past. He also noted that he has two daughters, one who looks like him, and she also, she suffers from severe struggles with anxiety. Many of you may be in the same place. I mean, if you look around your family, and as you look around your family, you note that your mom or your dad or your grandfather or someone in your family has struggled and suffered with anxiety or severe anxiety, likely you or someone in your family, just because of DNA, may as well. If you had a traumatic or stressful childhood or all the adult authority figures in your life continue to walk out of your life in childhood, you may have a predisposition toward it. So you've got to identify it. Do I have a predisposition toward having struggles with anxiety? But that does not mean just because you have a predisposition that there is no hope. It doesn't mean that at all because you can make changes and choices that can change things. Just like there are people sitting around you that have a predisposition to heart disease or to diabetes or addictions, and they have to make choices in their life to keep that from being the problem in their life, you will need to protect yourself and make choices too. But it begins with you admitting and noticing that you may have a predisposition. And you'll need to look for triggers. Well, what are triggers? Well, the number one trigger that people continue to identify is stress. If you struggle with high anxiety in your life, stress is your number one enemy. You will have to learn to have rest and margin in your life. Triggers can also be things like what you fix your mind on, you know, thoughts that continually go through your mind, worry thoughts about what am I going to do about this and how can I make sure of what happens in the future and what you can't control and what can you do. You can let your mind continue to go on those things about the future that you don't have the power to control or you can do, you can dwell on, like Paul wrote in that Note to the people he loved in Philippi, he says, or you can think on things that are good and noble and admirable and true. You can let your mind dwell on these. So you got to identify what triggers your anxiety, and you have to do a little self-check to notice what your level of anxiety is. So this week, my challenge to all of us is do a self-check. What's your normal anxiety level? Are you at a, a one? And a one would be, let's just say, a one is that uh, you're at rest, you're peaceful. You, at times, you even feel bored. Being bored is not a bad thing. A ten would be that you have to have constant activity and you're constantly on the move and you feel stressed when you don't think you have something to do. And the reason you want that, even though you can consciously say it, is it keeps you from thinking about what you can't do about the future. Yet when you at least get some rest, or you try to go to sleep, your mind won't stop. That's a 10, where you're constantly moving, constantly stressed. Our bodies were made to rest, and you'll have to find a way to rest. But it starts with you measuring. Are you a 1? Are you a 10? Are you somewhere in between? So our approach over these next few weeks as we track with this is going to be as I said, a holistic kind of approach. And what that means, holistic means, is we're just one person, spirit, soul, and body, but just one. So if we're going to deal with anxiety in our life, we're going to have to deal with it spiritually, emotionally, and physically. You know, your spirit is 
where you relate, well, to God. It's, it's how you see yourself. It's the self-talk of what you say about yourself. And God is at work in your spirit. Your soul is what, it animates your body. It's what gives life to your body. It's the thoughts that come from your spirit. It's your will. It's where you decide what you're going to do. And it's your emotions. So your spirit is meant to influence your soul and your soul and your spirit together, the, the self-talk from that is supposed to govern your body. But, as I already talked about, your body also talks to your soul and your spirit and lets your soul and spirit know that there's something off. You can feel it in your body even when you don't consciously recognize it. You, you may not know this. You know, often people who do what I do don't talk about this, but the Bible really does have a holistic approach to spiritual life, and it's not just about the spirit. It is about soul and body as well. The Bible addresses all. So, what about your spirit? I mean, what about your soul? What about your body? For instance, some medications that are prescribed for you, are they're given to us uh, when you're needed, and they help our body have time to begin to rewire our brain. Uh, some medications are sort of like a, a brace that are needed for our mind, like... Some of you may have a broken bone and you have a brace or a, you have a, a cast that you put on the leg. It just, it just supports the leg while the, the leg has a chance to heal. Medication can sometimes give your body time to rewire your neural pathways and they give your soul a chance to rework your self-talk because your soul's thoughts and your soul's emotion literally, literally are grooving your brain. That's the most uh, current thinking in neuroscience these days. So, we can also use psychology to give us new thoughts in our mind and emotions, and then we can use the Bible and the thoughts from the Bible and spiritual truths to speak to our spirit, and they change us spiritually because our spirit is intended to inform our soul, which helps our body, and we live as one person. So, how about your spirit? Where are you spiritually? Jesus has this conversation once with a religious leader, and he says to this man whose name is Nicodemus, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. And Nicodemus didn't understand. He was thinking about it was physically born again. And Jesus tries again and says, no, flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. So he says, you know, Flesh gave birth to flesh. Your, your mom and dad did that, you know, and your dad really had the, the, the easy part of that. They chose that you would be born, but that's not the way it is spiritually. God's spirit, and God is the only one that can give eternal life to your spirit, but God, because he allows us freedom of choice, he, he won't force spiritual life on you. He won't force that your spirit be in right you have to choose to give him control over your spirit. If you want to, God, because he gives you free choice and he wants a loving relationship with you, love has to be chosen. So you can sit in charge of your life and you can try to be God and you can try to control everything, but eventually you'll learn that there are many things in this world that are out of your control. God, who is in control, longs for you to choose to do your spirit with him and to be born with him in spirit. That's why one of Jesus' followers, John said, Jesus came to that which is his own, us, but his own did not receive him, yet to all who do receive him, 
to those who believed him or trusted him or trusted in his name. He gives them the right to become the children of God. Children not born of natural descent or human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. And here's why that matters so much to you in this walk toward hope and anxiety. If you believe that God is against you, if you believe that you've done something that God's out to get you, if you believe that God is not for you, if you believe that you have to make it in this world on your own, that you have to do it right on your own, if you don't believe that the God of the universe is for you and walking with you and loves you and wants to do it with you, then no wonder you're worried. I mean, this world is, this world is unpredictable, and at times it's hard and stressful and messy, and you want to get it right. And the God of the universe wants to help you get it right. But you have to choose. You have to choose to allow him to be at work in your spirit. God intends to do it with us. So that's your spirit. But let's talk about your soul and your body. Now, your soul and your body, are, they're, they're not the same, but they're not totally independent either. So soul and body are, are, are distinct, but they're not totally separate. Dr. Moreland has an analogy about it like this. He says, you know, if you put salt in, into water, you can make salt water. And the salt in the water totally permeates the water. It's in every part of the water. Now, by scientific process, desalinization, you can take the salt out of the water, and the salt will be totally salt. But the water, it now is no longer salt water. It's just water. And the point he's making is that when your soul is in your body, they both work together as you. But when you take the soul out of the body, the body is no longer you. Your soul is fully you. By that he means, you know, if you lose your legs, you may lose 25% of your body, but you don't lose any of you. All of you still totally exist. You're still totally you. But when your soul leaves your body your body immediately begins to change. And it doesn't take long for it to return to dust. Your soul and your body work together. And though they work together, your soul, while it's in the body, is dependent on the body. Uh, this gets a little complicated, and I don't want to lose you, so let me try to explain it. First, what your, th what your soul thinks, how, how your mind handles your emotions, can literally change the physical structure of your brain. This is the most recent scientific study. What you think, how you handle your emotions, can literally change the structure of your brain. And when your brain changes, it creates this feeling of angst, this constant feeling of anxiety, and it feels like I just can't control it. But the good news is, it's not forever out of your control. But since your soul is dependent on your brain, that's why sometimes there needs to be medication to calm your brain down, medication prescribed by a physician needed to return your brain to its calm state so that your soul and the self-talk or your spirit can begin to work together to regroove your brain. That's why at the end of what I read to you, when Paul's writing to the Philippians, he would say, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me, what you've seen in me put into practice and then the God of peace will be with you. In other words, you're going to have to put some new 
practices in your life to control this feeling of angst and anxiety. And once you begin to put those new practices into place, you'll begin to rewire your brain, and then you'll experience joy and peace that you were meant to, where once you only felt out of control. You know how it was with a, any habit. You, you have to learn the habit, and at first it feels clumsy. You know, I can remember when I first started texting, and it was, I literally was all thumbs, and you'd have to really pay attention where the A was and where the Z was, but after a while, I've texted for so long now, I don't really have to think about where that is on the keyboard. I can just think about what I want to say because now that part of it has just become habit. Over time, believe it or not, when your spirit, with the spiritual truths, it informs the self-talk of the soul, if you have the right chemistry where maybe some medication is needed to give you a plant, chance for your brain to calm down, that your spirit and soul can be able to, with God's help, Rewire the grooves of your brain, and then love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, they can begin to grow in your life where once there was only anxiety and chaos. But it begins with you learning some new practices. It begins with you putting new habits in your life. And those habits can literally begin to change your life. Do you want to know what those habits are? Well, that's what we're going to talk about next week. So I hope you'll come back for the next part of this series, Hope and Anxiety. But I do want to give you just one of those today. And I know for those of you, maybe you're not a church person or you're not really a believer, or maybe you don't even know about God yet, this is one you can practice even though it sounds like you have to believe. You don't. It's, it's prayer. You know, We've found medically that there's a benefit to praying even if you don't even believe in the power of prayer. There's a benefit to it. So here's what I want to encourage you to do just for the next seven weeks. And this, I mean, seven days, this isn't going to totally fix everything, but it's a beginning of putting a habit in practice. Every time you begin to feel anxious, I just want you to note it, and then I want you to just consciously turn and pray, God, I feel this way. I need you to be with me. God, would you help me with this? Or you can't say, God, say, I feel this way. I need help with this. If there's a way that I could get help for this, I want help for this. That will begin to change. It'll be the first step. The way we've decided to end this service today is I've asked the band to come back. The band is going to come back and lead us in a song that we actually heard early in the service. It's the one that talked about no longer being a slave to fear. And I know for some of you... You, you, you may not like the music, you may not like the song, but the words of this song are true. And what I want to ask you to do is I want you to listen to them and let them begin to absorb in you. And if you can, begin to, to sing them. And over the next few weeks, we're going to learn together how to live spirit, soul, and body in this truth. Now, you don't any longer have to be trapped and feel like you're a slave to your anxiety and fears. We can live in hope.